Hi, Rachel. Hi, Liz. How are you today? Good, good. How about you? Refreshed <laughs> and feeling much better than I have in the past few weeks. So good. it's good to be back with you again. Sorry we missed a few weeks there, but here we are today. It's great to be back. I'm excited about the topic today. Oh, yes, me too. So welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast, all about our food systems and how we fit into them. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig, and here we have Rachel Mills, partner in crime. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to hear your voice and hear your perspective on these things, Rachel. It's really important. Well, I learn a lot from you. So um, that's how I see my role in all this is I have the perspective of an audience member that has a lot of questions and you are our expert. So expert away, expert. (laughs) Well, as you mentioned, our topic today is one that I get asked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And people who have been involved in local foods and the raw milk scene for years and people who are brand new to it, people constantly ask me about the relationship between raw milk, raw dairy products, and seasonal allergies. So we're not even talking about food allergies. We're talking specifically about seasonal allergies. Like hay fever and stuff. Exactly. And the great news is, and the very simple, straightforward answer is for most people, most of the time, consuming raw dairy products regularly has the effect that you do not then experience severe seasonal allergies. Now, what's the proof behind that, Liz? That is an outrageous claim. What about Claritin and Benadryl and all the drugs (laughs) that people are offered? Isn't that better? Well, you know what, Rachel? The other part of this topic, of course, is and has to be about our right to choose our own foods, mm-hmm. right? And so in the same way, I mean, this, this is such an important topic for so many people because we have so many people who truly suffer from seasonal allergies. Oh, yeah. It's, it seems like they're all around me, uh, especially this time of year with pollen season. It's like people are legit like sick. Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. And here's the thing. We have studies out of Europe showing the, the healing effect, the relationship, I'm forgetting all the sciencey words at the moment, but the relationship between the correlation. Yeah. Well, no, there's, there's actually a relationship. It's not just a correlation. There is, there is some causality there. And uh, uh, towards the consumption of raw dairy products and not having seasonal allergies. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing and it's pretty clear. And and I do want to touch on one thing that's not seasonal allergies for one second, which is that uh, pasteurized milk is the most allergenic food in America. So people, a lot of people are allergic to milk. Absolutely. And so we have to ask that question, why, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many answers to that question. And one piece of that puzzle, I want, I want you to think about this though, because if, if it's true that there are bacteria in raw dairy products, which for the most part there are, and we want them because most of them are highly probiotic, beneficial, beneficial bacteria. bacteria. Yeah. What happens to that bacteria 
when you pasteurize it. It's killed. And it stays in there, right? It's dead. Yeah. And so some people will experience a reaction to the exposure to the dead bacteria in these products. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's one component of it, right? Because it's not like all of that disappears. It just gets demolished. Well, some of it gets demolished in the product, but it's still there. It's still a whole bunch of dead bacteria then in the dairy products. Huh. Are you telling me that my friend who is like really, really, really allergic to milk suddenly she used to eat cheese like her whole life. She was just, you know, obsessed with cheese and dairy. And then suddenly, you know, now in her forties, she became completely intolerant. You, are you saying that she should maybe try raw milk? Oh, absolutely. Really? Now every body is different and every immune system is different, but a lot of people who are are not able to consume pasteurized dairy products do extremely well when switching to raw. Wow. And um, my friend that I'm thinking about right now, she is actually in Europe uh, right now. And isn't it easier to get raw, like cheeses and, and dairy in Europe? I don't have personal experience with that. I do hear stories about it. And I hear that it is much more available in many European countries than it is here in the States. So I have to I make a recommendation. I don't know whether she'll take it. She's like deathly afraid of milk now, but you know, that would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, it's always interesting to make those observations on oneself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel so strongly that this is such a personal decision that you know, somebody might be afraid of it and might be afraid to try that. And so it really needs to be yeah. on their timeline and up to them. And if they want to venture into that, even as a temporary uh, trial. But if you're seriously suffering from seasonal allergies and you have a way to get raw milk, might be worth a try. Yes, absolutely. And to be clear, most of the studies and most of the observational data on this indicate that it takes consuming raw dairy products for an extended period of time, nine oh, months, a year. Nine months? Wow. Yeah. So it's not like you can start drinking it today and you won't have allergies in a week for the most okay. part. I mean, maybe you will, right? That's the beauty of it. Maybe you will, but for the most part, it's, it's a long-term. Over time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But there is like real data. There's real data and it is widely accessible. And of course we know our favorite um, governmental organizations will pick it apart and refute it. But I would encourage people to look at more of the observational data and to look at other countries data because you get, you get evidence from these studies from the European countries, for example. And then also, Rachel, what we talk about a lot, common sense, right? If we have however many thousands of years of human civilization that has co-evolved with the domesticated cow and what, just now we're having seasonal allergies and just now we're having a major problem with raw dairy products? Well, we have to look at like what are the components of that? We talked a little bit about that in our previous episode about the history of raw dairy products, 
but I guess my, my overall point in all of that is that it is something that we have been having in human civilization for millennia now. And if it was not helpful to us, we would not have continued. We stopped eating the mushrooms that poisoned us, right? right. So we have to look at that and say, okay, let's use some, let's use some common sense here and let's look at human history and the history of civilization, right? Because domesticated cattle is still fairly recent when you look at all of human history. So look at that, look at that history of it and look at what, how it served populations. And you didn't have, you know, we don't have all of these tons and tons of records of all these civilizations that had seasonal allergies and allergies to milk. Right. I, I have a theory, like um, an idea about the mechanism that would make seasonal allergies uh, related to raw milk. Um, and that maybe the cow in the pasture is eating the same um, grasses and weeds and things that people tend to be allergic to. And then the antibodies in the milk would help you deal with when you are exposed to those things like in your environment. Do you, is, is that kind of what they think? Is that the mechanism? Yeah, I, there's, that's a component of it for sure. So here's here, well, this wonderful uh, study. I'm gonna read part of it. And this is actually on the um, National Library of Medicine. And it's, I'll put it in the show notes. It's super easy to Google it. Um, and it says this, in more than 90% of epidemiological studies worldwide, there was a protective effect of unprocessed cow's milk consumption on the development of asthma, hay fever, and atopic sensation in both farm and urban children. Wow. So what that's looking at is that's looking at not just the populations of children who grew up on farms around all these wonderful diversity of uh, bacteria and pollen and uh, all the outdoor things that we get, but looking also at the urban counterparts and that unprocessed dairy was still beneficial in both of those populations. 90% so, of epidemiological studies worldwide. Yeah. Protective effect. Yeah. Evidence was especially strong in the Alex and the Parsifal studies in several regions of continental Europe. Uh, the study by study these things, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. The study by Perkin and Strachan, I don't know if I said that right, in Shropshire, UK, clearly demonstrated that raw farm milk was equally or possibly more effective in children from non-farming households than in farming children. Wow. On the other hand, farm children receiving shot milk or boiled farm milk have increased risk of asthma, allergies, in contrast to those drinking raw farm milk. Now, okay, here's a question. Here's a question, and I don't know if you know the answer or if you have a theory, that's fine too. But do you think um, drinking both, uh, like drinking pasteurized milk that you get at the store just out of convenience, you think that negates the benefits of raw milk? Because, okay, here's my situation. We still buy milk at the grocery store just because we kind of have to. My source for raw milk is the farmer's market every Saturday. I can't make it there every Saturday. So we get a um, half gallon of raw milk whenever we can. 
And that's probably not an unusual situation, only having uh, limited access if you have access at all. You know, so, you know, about once every couple of months, you know, and my boys just guzzle that stuff when I get it. Like they drink it, they love it. Um, do you think that has um, benefits or is that not enough? Well, yeah, so this is really uh, based on observational data, right? Like daily because, consumption. Because they're, well, what, I mean, what I'm saying, I'm trying to give caveats because like there, there really are no studies on that that I've yeah. come across that I've seen because it's hard to study this topic. It is. So in the observational data, I mean, what one of the reasons that raw milk is so great is because it does have naturally present bacteria that are that are beneficial to our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're if if you're basically taking in those bacteria at all regularly, once a month, whatever, you're colonizing your system with those bacteria. And so those bacteria are going to be there. And then when you're getting the, the pasteurized dairy, those bacteria are, are going to become less, but they're still, hopefully you're going to be recolonizing them, right? As you go back to the raw. And that makes sense to me. And yeah, I mean, most households, even most households that prefer the raw dairy will still use it for cooking. Yeah. Right. And so I know my kids drink hot chocolate with it and that's heated. And so you're going to, you're going to always naturally have a mix of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think, and in, in my observations and watching other families and how they do it and the results they get is if you have that, if you have the raw as a component, as a basis, you're still getting a lot of benefit from that, even mm -hmm. if it's not exclusive. Okay, well, that's encouraged me. <laughs> I wish I had a dairy cow in my backyard, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one nice thing is goats are smaller than cows and they eat a lot more things than cows do. So yeah. that's a reason that uh, some people and some cultures have goat milk a lot more than cow milk. It's interesting. I don't really like goat milk near as much or goat cheese near as much as cow, but that is a preference thing. And plus I have an HOA now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Uh, I wonder how they would feel about my emotional support goat. <laughs> <laughs> we could try that. Oh goodness. That would be so funny. Right. Yeah. They, a goat could mow my lawn. They, they should appreciate that. <laughs> and, and trim the trees and everything. Yeah. <laughs> All my flowers. <laughs> they, they just eat everything. Yes, they do. Yeah. Maybe a sheep. How about sheep's milk? Sheep's milk is, is so good. And it's, it? it's also, I mean, from what I've read, it's also the closest to human milk. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's got a lot of those benefits. It's, but you're going to get less of it. I mean, a sheep is a much smaller animal. You're going to get a lot less of it. Well, I'll get a couple of emotional support sheep maybe. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then you'll have like a nice wool sweater after a few years too. Yeah. You can have sweaters and milk. 
Yeah. So the important thing is be aware. I mean, realize that number one, pasteurized dairy is the most allergenic food. When we're talking about food allergies, it is the most allergenic food in America. And the healing effect of raw dairy on seasonal allergies. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I have this really interesting story. It's somebody else's story. So I won't use names or anything that can identify them. Um, but basically it's a professor at a prominent institution, shall we say. That you've heard of. Oh yeah. I mean, I know this guy. He's, he's the one who told me this story. But I mean, all of the, your audience has heard of this institution. Oh, absolutely. And at one point he got regular access to raw cow milk from a family member. And he said, he started drinking it. And the next season, he had no seasonal allergies, none. And he'd been used to having allergies every year come spring and he had none. And he was so blown away and he really wanted to study. He wanted to study why, like, why is this happening? Why? And then of course he started exploring it a little more and realized that this is not unique to him. And ultimately he was not able to study that in the way that he wanted to. Uh, so we don't have conclusive answers from this medical institution, uh, but it was really interesting to see his process in that. And then to see some of the informal uh, inquiries he made around it and being the doctor and scientist that he was, it, it's, it's, it's been incredible talking to him about it through that process and understanding what questions he asked and what conclusions he came to after, you know, he, he couldn't do the study in the way he originally wanted to. So he had to look at it in a different way and come to certain conclusions in that regard. And ultimately he knows what he experienced. I know what I hear over and over and over from the people in my circles about the same thing that they're drinking raw milk and whoa, then the next season, they're not getting allergies. And it's amazing. It's like people who suffer. I mean, you know, you know, Rachel, people, some people are barely affected by seasonal allergies and some people are afraid to go outdoors because it's yeah. so bad. And it's these people that have the most profound effect because their quality of life goes up so much. They can go outside. They can be a part of things again. And it's such a relief. It, stories like that make me so upset with like our medical system and our uh, scientific process these days, you know, and you, you'll hear over and over about how inferior observational data is and like, oh, there's no proof for that. There's no proof. There's no evidence. Well, you know, so much of it begins with observational data, so many questions, and it, that's what science should be about is about answering questions and the questions that arise from just observing the world around you. And then you want to further study it to come up with something concrete. Um, and, and, you know, through that rigorous scientific method, but then you're, you're, uh, you, you just get blocked from doing that based on what the powers that be are willing to fund and what they will stonewall. So it's just very frustrating that um, 
rigorous scientific inquiry is just it it's it's stifled by a lot of different elements and maybe it's the same people that want to fund drug studies they want to sell you claritin instead or whatever you know they don't want a, an easy cheap easily accessible solution that you can get at the farmers market they want to sell you a drug that they can patent you know and those seem to be the guys that are in charge yeah clearly there is uh there are some interesting components at play there. And Rachel, you and I talk about this all the time because we're both so fiercely independent and, and strong, we have strong opinions on this matter that really that should be our choice if yes. we get to choose raw or pasteurized milk. Like that really is a personal choice. And so I think the thing that, that we've got to look at too is who is blocking that choice yeah. Why are we not, why are we not even most Americans not even aware that this choice exists? Yeah. Right. And then, you know, the criminalization of our wonderful food producers and not just the raw dairy producers, but across the board food producers, when this really needs to be a familial choice. Yeah. And I can't find a major, uh, study with a double blind placebo controlled, you know, I, I can't fund that kind of thing, but I can access raw milk and do my own little experiment on myself and see how it goes. And I should absolutely be able to do that. And if I come up with results that should matter, I should be able to talk about that with other people without being labeled as, you know, a having that labeled as misinformation, you know, we, we need open dialogue about these things. So, you know, that's one reason that I really love this podcast is we're talking about those issues and we're talking about how to get good information and common sense, you know, outside of some of these more rigid structures. Yes. And you know what, one of the things that we see is how our food system touches all our other systems. Yeah. And that fundamental choice of how are we going to feed ourselves? Like it's, it's so basic, so yeah. basic. And yet it's taken away from many people without their even fully realizing it. It's like you, you go to the store and you think your choice is whole milk or skin. And <laughs> really like, yeah, you know, there's a whole other world out there of, well, raw, what about raw? What about goat? What about sheep? What about getting it from the farm 20 miles away? And so many of these choices are deliberately hidden from us. And in a way that infantilizes us, right? Like we can't even decide what milk we're going to drink. Infantilizes us. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Here's another hypothesis I would have based along those lines, based upon that mechanism that we talked about before. I hypothesize that if you were able to somehow source raw milk from across the country and drink it, it wouldn't help you with your seasonal allergies where you are. Because, because your cows locally are eating the same grasses that you're exposed to that are giving you the allergies and the antibodies in the milk 
is what's helping you. This is a hypothesis. There's, you know, this is the kind of thing that should be tested, but you probably can't study that. But it's a question I would have. Well, that's very similar to the to the honey thing. Yes. Right. And so when, when I was talking to the beekeeper, Lamar, that is one of the things he talked about. And it's an important component in so many people want to get local honey because of the same reason it helps with seasonal allergies. Why? Because mm -hmm. the bees are going and getting the pollen off the flowers and the trees that are in your environment. And then they're turning that pollen into the honey. You take it in in a way that's healthy to your body. And suddenly your body's like, oh, chill. I don't need to attack this thing. And so then you don't experience this uh, autoimmune reaction to your natural pollens. Exactly. So that would be, that would be kind of parallel to that. And yeah, I mean, Rachel, I never even thought about that, but that's, that's true. That's a, that's a valid hypothesis. And why can't we test it? Because there's no money in it. Right, exactly. And that being said, a lot of our grasses are the same, right? We have a lot of the same species of grasses and uh, legumes around all, throughout this country and throughout a lot of different parts of the world. So I would, I, I would add to that, that there would be, there would still be several healing components, regardless of where that milk originated and where the person consuming it is, uh, shall we say, uh, inhabiting. Yeah, but I bet it wouldn't be as good. <laughs> I, bet you're, I, I, I bet it's not for nothing, but I bet your local stuff would be the very, very best designed just for you. But something across the country and say like, you know, state of Washington or something, and then you try to drink it in Florida. <laughs> It'd be totally different. Still might have some benefit, but not as custom made. And you know what? You just made a really strong point for bioregional <laughs> bioregional food systems and the yes. supply chain thing. And, you know, going back to my vision, it's like what, you know, we, we, we can kind of envision what some of our quote unquote commons might've been like 400 years ago cows in neighborhoods, uh, chickens roaming around, goats in places that couldn't really sustain cows as well. And I want to see that back, right? And it, it makes so much sense. And so as we're watching our food systems break down in so many different ways, and as we're watching our economy be disrupted in all kinds of head spinning ways, um, you know, maybe it's time for HOAs to replace some of these rules with like, let's see how we can create secure food systems in our communities. I mean, I'm dreaming. I don't think it's going to happen anytime real soon because people's priorities are still not right here, right now, bioregional secure food systems. Oh, Liz, I think that's going to change. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because for the wrong reason, well, for unfortunate reasons, I think that's going to change. You know, I, we might have, you know, serious, serious supply chain shocks coming down the pike, um, serious food shortages. There's that issue going around where a bunch of um, food processing plants have caught on fire. Yep. And I don't know whether that's a factor of, you know, well, they always catch on fire, but now they're putting media attention on it to make you panic. I don't know whether that's the case or whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether there's some kind of 
um, nefarious thing going on where we're, we're being attacked in some way internally. I don't know. I really don't know. But it, it does seem like there's maybe a, the possibility, at least, of sabotage. And anyway, um, with inflation, the prices going up, with the, the fuel uh, shocks that are happening and continuing to happen, you know, people's priorities might seriously begin to readjust. You know, I would love nothing more than to see HOAs just sort of um, not be such Karens anymore. <laughs> I, would, I would love to see the Karens start to think about things differently and, and maybe allow yeah. chickens, you know, and things like that, because that would be wonderful. Well, I'm with you on that. And, you know, you touched on something. It, it doesn't even matter why or what is the motivation behind some of these things that are happening in our food systems, because the bottom line is our food systems are so fragile in yeah. so many ways. And whether it's because of nefarious players or whether it's because of natural disaster or so many other factors, we have all of these vulnerabilities. We have all of these fragilities in the system. And we're kind of just like going around with our eyes closed and our fingers in our ears going, nothing, nothing wrong. Nope, nope. And this and, is fine. This is fine. This is fine. And the, yeah. the way it is, I mean, you know that food is actually seasonal and it's actually like the cycles are a year. Yeah. It's really long cycles. And so if we're experiencing, if any part of the world anywhere, and we know this happens all over the world every single day, whatever parts of the world are experiencing food shortages for anything other than um, what, like it's not raining, right? Mm -hmm. But other reasons that it, it really takes a year to fix. That's a cycle. To catch yes. up. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm with you on the, the concern and recognizing the fragilities and the vulnerabilities and the mechanisms are start now. <laughs> the mechanisms for solving some of that fragility is that you start now, you have to start now. If you want less fragility in three years, you have to start now and start with anything. We've talked about this before. Start with a plant, start with chickens, start anywhere. Because if you're able to start, you're already decreasing the fragility. You're ready to build. You're ready to build. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I've got a long ways to go before I'm self-sustaining here in my little plot of land here in Florida. But I like the idea of at least an herb garden or some tomatoes. Yeah. And when you think about it, Rachel, we're not we don't know, like in a real way, we don't even know how to be self-sustaining in terms of food systems because our generation, our parents' generation, even our grandparents' generation literally did not have to deal with this. Like the entire system being uh, insecure, right? Yeah. And certainly, certainly there are, uh, there are many, segments of populations that have had to deal with food insecurity. 
And I don't want to disparage that or minimize that. That is it really intense and very real for many people. And it's different than the whole system about to collapse or having all of these vulnerabilities in it that could create collapse at any point. Yeah. Well, here's to Victory Gardens. Yep. <laughs> Making a comeback. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And here's to raw milk for seasonal allergies. Yes. They go hand in hand. <laughs> worth a try. Give it a try. If you can find a source, um, support your local farmers, support your local food systems. You're going to need them one day and you want to be on their list when you do. That's, that's my thought is I want to be on your customer list because there's going to be a point where they're not going to be able to take any new customers. Rachel, right? I preach it every single day. Yeah. So get on those lists, make connections, support them right now while you can when they need it, because there's going to be a time when we're going to need them more than they need us right now. So, yep. And give it a try. Try, try the raw milk and see if it helps you. Or even if you're not into raw milk or don't have access to that raw milk cheeses, it can yep. often have the same effect or raw butter or whatever your favorite thing is try any of it it doesn't mean you have to be drinking glassfuls of raw milk in, every day or apparently you just brought up raw honey that sounds raw pretty honey. good too oh it's amazing and look i mean aren't there so many historical and biblical references to milk and honey yeah yeah i mean let's look at that too if, if history repeats that so many times there must be something to it that's right. Those are the people that survived. <laughs> well, it was what everybody was searching for, right? The lands flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. It's like the thing to look for. So yeah, and maybe one day we'll have it in our, each little area, we'll have it in their proximity. Yeah. We have to seek it out though these days. You have to seek it out actively. Look for we it. Do. And you put more effort it. into it. Yeah. Yep, it does take effort right now. Absolutely, it takes more effort. And but it's worth it. Yes, yes. You, we think it's worth it. You have to decide that for yourself. I think it, you'll find that it is if you, if you can seek it out and put forth the effort. Yes, indeed. I'm so glad that you have access to it and that we can tell other people about the benefits here. Yep, I have not always had easy access like this. I, don't, I didn't have a source at all in North Carolina, not at all, but here they, they have a way that they have to package it, but yes, yes I can get it every Saturday if I have the day off. <laughs> yep. There's all kinds of funky rules and requirements on packaging and labeling and all kinds of nonsense just to keep people from Discover. having unfettered access to Oh it. yeah. They definitely try to scare you off, but yeah, you know, you got to decide whether you want to take the risk, you know, and, you know, possibly it's a risk. Talk to your doctor and all of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's delicious and we haven't had any problems. There you go. All right. We'll come back with more. Yes. In the meantime. Thank you for having me back, Liz. It's been delightful. Always delightful talking to you. Thank you. 
All right. Eat good food. Grow something. Grow something. Grow together. Absolutely. And know your neighbors. Yes, that's important. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye, Liz.